You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Offense and defense have been going back and forth all spring. Today, I didn't think the offense came out with the right attitude and mentality that we need to be champions uh, on a daily basis. So we got to learn from that. Uh, we picked it up as the practice went along. And in order for us to be great, we got to, as soon as we hit that grass field, we got to make sure we're locked and loaded and focused. Uh, for the most part, uh, the defense, you know, pretty much gave it to us today. But Yeah, it was the whole offense. I mean, it was pick a position. You know, guys weren't dialed into the details of what they were doing. And, you know, um, certainly, um, you know, our defense played with more energy this morning initially. And, uh, you know, they carried it throughout practice. We had some bright moments, but, you know, overall just was not to our standard. Coach Frost wanted those guys to understand, hey, we still got a lot of work to do. Uh, we had a little taste of the fans being in, in, the, in the stands last week, so they got motivated from that. Coach Frost made an emphasis in our team meeting. Hey, we fellas, we have a long way to go still. We got still opportunities. Sometimes you're trying to look at the carrot down the road on May 1st, but we still got a lot of work to get done. And, and welcome here to this edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washett. Later we'll hear from Brian Munson as uh, we bring you through the home stretch of spring practice. Nebraska held... Uh, their final major scrimmage of the spring on Wednesday inside of Memorial Stadium. It was a full padded affair, a chilly morning, uh, but they got a lot of work done, all things considered. Um, now they'll head into this final week with Monday and Wednesday practices as well as the red-white spring game on May 1st. Uh, around 30,000 or so tickets have been sold uh, for the game. They'll sell at least 42,000, if not more, now that the capacity and guidelines have been loosened a little bit this week. But it was interesting. You heard Robin, um, Sean Becton, and Greg Austin both coming out right away and saying, you know what, they didn't have a very good final scrimmage for the offense. The defense had the upper hand. I felt like what, what we got to see on Saturday before that in the open practice, you know, there were flashes by the offense, but I, I think we both agreed the the defense had the upper hand as well. And, and, you know, really they probably should. They have a lot more veteran talent and leadership on the defense right now in some of the key spots and depth. And, you know, as we head down this final stretch, the defense kind of won the final strip battle. Yeah, and like, like you said, that's not a total surprise uh, just given what Nebraska's defense is and how much experience is coming back and how deep that side of the ball is. So, um, you know, I think you pair that with what we were able to see on Saturday and some of the reports that we've gotten over the course of spring. There's been some back and forth, so it's not like the offense is being completely overwhelmed, but, you know, Wednesday was the defense's day. And, um uh, Honestly, in spring, that's how it should be, especially when, you know, you have so many new wide receivers, so many new running backs, young guys on the offensive line. You know, Nebraska's offense is transitioning a bit. And so with you pair that with uh, what they have to work with on the defensive side of the ball, I'd, I'd probably be more concerned if they had all these reports about how the offense just lit up a bunch of, you know, fifth and sixth year seniors on defense. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk uh, spring practice here, Robin. But you know, I think we both walked away uh, with some interesting takes, some observations. Uh, we'll hit on Jacques Giant more in our next segment, the the walk-on running back out of Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, but I want to go right to the receivers um, as we talk offense here. I, I think we both would agree year over year that potentially will be the most improved position on Nebraska. And Omar Manning was out there. Samari Torre was out there. Xavier Betts. Um, Will Nixon, now Alante Brown was battling and injured, not practicing. Um, but you just see where this group has come, Oliver Martin. Mm -hmm. um, and, and getting a chance to see it with our own eyes, 
you can see the potential of what this group can be. And I think they thought this is what it was going to be a year ago. Uh, it just didn't materialize, but I think they finally have the parts there. Well, strictly just off the eyeball test, I mean, this this is as impressive looking of a receiving core we've seen in Nebraska in a long time and probably since, uh, you know, as good as any that, that we've seen since I've been doing this. I mean, well, just, you, you just got from the, the eyeball test. The Kenny Bell, Brandon Riley, Westerkamp. But Kenny Bell wasn't physically impressed. Like, he was, he didn't look like Omar Manning. He, he was drafted, he, though. He didn't, I'm just saying, from the eyeball test. And, then those, and he was all Big Ten. And I know, I get it. So what I'm saying is, from top to bottom, though, they have more than just Kenny Bell and Brandon Riley and Jordan Westerkamp and all those guys. They have uh, a bunch of guys that look really good. And so... Now they need to be able to translate onto the field on Saturday. But as far as what that group looks like in midway through spring practice, um, they when when Scott Frost at the beginning of spring said that the receiving core might be uh, the be- the best looking group that he's had. You know, I think a lot of people rolled their eyes because you know they thought it was kind of your same old same old off off season hype that you know comes out every year. But there seems to be some legitimacy to it, and not only just with you know how they look physically, but um, you know in the brief instances we've been able to see them, you know how how good and dynamic some of those guys on the perimeter look. So um, yeah, I mean a lot left to be proven with that group. You know Omar Manning needs to be able to string together consecutive practices. Smart Toure still has to play a single snap at the uh, you know FBS level. And so there, there's a lot of things that still need to be determined. But from what we know right now about this group, that could be a much bigger strength for this offense than I think we anticipated going in. I'm not worried, though, about that transition from FCS yeah, to Yeah, it didn't, F- didn't look like you had much problem. I think, it, you know, if you're a football snob, ah, oh, it's FCS. But I, I think that Missouri Valley and Montana, um, Big Sky Conference, I mean, the top-level teams in that, you know they they play a very good brand of football, and we're seeing Chris Kolarovic mm-hmm. on the defensive side, and you know it leads you to think if you're going transfer portal, taking a highly productive FCS guy might be the best way to go in some respects versus taking maybe a disgruntled four star guy that leaves a program expecting to have certain things just handed to them when they get to campus. Yeah, well, especially when you pair Samari's to, uh, talent with the leadership that he's shown. I mean, you t- talked about him. Uh, you know, the receiver coach, Scott Frost, um, and the, the other receivers in that room have all praised Samari's leadership and just the command he has about him, where not only is he out there doing it by example, but he's got a pretty large voice already in that room where a lot of these younger guys are following his lead. And that's a great thing to have uh, when you have someone that can come in and, and potentially be your number one, but also kind of take the take the, the, the reins of, of being a leader of that group. Uh, I mean, I think his value could be in many different ways for, for Nebraska's offense and that receiver group in general. I think some of the other uh, position battles we learned this week, Quentin Newsom has the leg up at corner. You know, but to be fair, Braxton Clark has been limited with contact. Um, so that thing is still far from over, but they have a lot of options, a lot of depth there. On the offensive line, uh, the big spot is probably one of those guard openings right now. I think we think Ethan Piper probably has a lock on left guard, mm-hmm. um, but then the right guard position seems to be a battle more between Matt Sichterman and Brant Banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the two that you would think have really kind of moved in on that. But 
Um, some of these position battles have started to take shape here um, as we hit the back end of spring practice. Yeah, I mean, on Saturday, the, the practice we watched, you know, Sichterman was the first right guard out there, but Brandt uh, worked in quite a bit as well with the first team offense. So uh, it's it's still a very heavy rotation at that spot, and uh, that's to be expected because they're, they're trying to find not only the, the best right guard, but which guy is going to play the best with the other projected starters in that group so uh, yeah I think the, the rest of the line is relatively set you know we're talking off air Nebraska's you know media department put out that video about the pipeline uh, where they interviewed a bunch of offensive linemen and it was four guys uh, the center Ethan Piper at left guard and uh, Ben Hart and Corcoran at tackle and they the one guy they didn't have was whoever's going to be at right guard so that seems to be the one spot that is still fully up for grabs uh, but right now it seems like Sichterman and Banks seem to be the front runners to you know eventually come out of that uh, at least be the front runners going into into fall camp well and the key is there's options there um, you, you go back to year one of Greg Austin in Nebraska they didn't really have they barely had five guys that could play mm-hmm. I mean you think about that and where it's come I mean you think about the first year before they moved Tanner Farmer Cole Conrad was a starting center I mean and no knock on him. He, he was an all right player, but they just didn't have a lot of options in depth. Bo Wilson was a starter that first year in 18. In year three, Bo Wilson wasn't on the field anymore at Nebraska. So mm-hmm. you've just seen how far that group has come, and it's only going to get better as they now feel like they have nine or ten guys that can play at a Big Ten level. Well, especially with how many of those guys can play multiple positions and the cross-training that's going on The there. puzzle. Yeah, if guys aren't locked into one spot, and that's a good thing. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk more offense. I want to hit on Jacques Giant, the running backs, and more. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. He's, he's making his name here, you know, obviously in practice. No one has seen him uh, move around live yet, but I've seen it. All right, so he's a problem. I tell you that he's about—I <laughs> don't know how much he weighs, but he's probably 245, 255. He's a problem. He's fast. He's fast, and uh, he's a problem. I mean, he gives our guys problems all the time. Last year, I don't know where he's sitting at right now on offense because I'm too busy worrying about defense. But but when he's in the game, we know we know he's in the game. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washad, that was running backs coach, or not running backs coach, secondary coach, Travis Fisher, talking about walk-on running back. Jacques Yant, who he recruited from Tallahassee, Florida, his former high school. This segment of the Husker Online Show is brought to you by our friends at Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill. It's your place to go in and watch all the action. Uh, they'll have Husker baseball on this weekend, FCS football playoffs, all the sports action you want to see inside Tanner Sports Bar on 30th and Yankee Hill. It is where Robin and I go to watch all of our games, eat wings. We may have a few beers, uh, but it is a brand-new-looking sports bar that I promise you when you go in, you're going to be like, wow, this is one of the best, if not the best, sports bars in town. So get on into Tanner's on 30th and Yankee Hill Road. Robin, you heard Fisher talking about Jacques Yant, and he said he's causing problems. And, you know, you and I have been doing this a long time together um, and over the spring, it's easy to fall in like a spring trap and get overly excited about a guy that's never going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when we first saw Jock has yet, we were like, don't do it. Don't don't take the trap just yet. But I think as we head now through four weeks of practice, they're almost done. It's legit. I mean, there, there's a legit story brewing with this walk on running back from Tallahassee, Florida, 
who really isn't a walk-on. I mean, he, he was an academic redshirt because he could not qualify, so they got him in the back door barely, and he's lost weight. He's gotten in shape. Um, he's still 245, 250, um, but he's running hard, and he's getting the attention of this coaching staff with the reps that he's gotten, and he's made himself a factor, and, and, and that's really been interesting to see. Yeah, it's a, it's a two-part deal. One, first and foremost, uh, Yant has done everything he needs to uh, to put himself in this position. And uh, we've only seen, you know, a, a brief snippet of spring ball so far. But that Saturday practice, I mean, he he looked like the guy everybody had been talking about. The Oklahoma drill right out of the bat. He trucked a linebacker. I can't remember which linebacker it was, but he put all 245 pounds into a linebacker's chest and ran right over him. And and that, that makes you – that, the Oklahoma drill is a toughness drill. And when you make a play like that, people are going to take notice. And from the sound of things, he's been doing that all spring. And then the other part to this is everybody else in that running back room is not available. Uh, Marquis Stepp is out for the entire spring with a foot injury. And, you know, on that Saturday practice, four other running backs, or four in total, uh, were sitting out watching from the sidelines with various injuries. And you pair that with last year, none of those guys were consistent whatsoever in their availability if you're bringing it every day and playing at a high level and doing the things that Jacques Yant is doing uh, on a day-to-day basis, you are going to have showing up to work matters. Exactly. And when you show up and you take advantage of, of those opportunities, it is going to pay off for you in the long run. So a lot left to be determined between now and the start of the season. I mean, obviously those running backs are, are going to get healthy, hopefully, uh, and, you know, create a little bit more depth, that position and more competition. But for the here and now, um, Yant is doing everything necessary to make himself a factor that cannot be ignored going uh, into the end of spring ball. Yeah, and it'll be interesting how that all shakes out, um, what kind of reps he gets in the red-white game. I know one of the things they wanted to see is how he could do with live contact. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to go into contact when you know you're not going to get tackled. How is he going to run when it's actually live, full to the ground hitting? So we'll see and learn more. Uh, the other trendy offensive topic I want to hit on Robin is it just it feels like everyone's kind of selling off their Logan Smothers stock and buying the Heinrich Harburg stock mm-hmm. uh, just based on what we got to see in the open practice. First of all, Smothers weighs 185 pounds. He's not the biggest guy. He does not have an elite arm. And when you can't take to the ground, it's really hard to gauge running skills. So the the setting and some of the things he brought to the table just didn't shine. On the other hand, you look at Harburg. He's 6'5", 6'6". He's got an elite arm. He can run. Um, and so there's a lot there that intrigues you. And I think it's complicated, this number two battle at quarterback, as to where to go. Because I think everybody just is like, oh, yeah, it will be, it will be Harburg or Smothers, then Harburg. But I don't think it's that it, – it's definitely not a slam dunk. And I think if you actually put a gun to my head come August – who would be the number two? I think Harburg could end up being the number two. I really do. Well, physically, I mean, he's the more impressive-looking quarterback. Like you said, he's just got the size to him. He's got uh, – he throws his ball in a line drive, and he's accurate and uh, just has he, – he looks like a Big Ten quarterback where, you know, Smothers is a bit of an undersized guy that – you know, again, I, I always preface this. It was one practice, but it was the, let's overreact. Yeah, but it was the most substantial snaps we've seen Logan Smothers take as a Husker. And so, uh, in that opportunity, there were plays where I didn't know where the ball was going. It was a duck, and it was you know five yards over the receiver's head, and um, the timing was off, and it just just didn't, which just wasn't there. 
Then, you know, two reps later, he would throw a 40-yard strike downfield on a dime, and you'd have to do a double take. Like, what was that, Smothers? And so I think consistency is probably the biggest thing with him. And, yes, is that how is that running ability going to translate when he actually has to take a hit? I mean, obviously, that's, that's a big part of that if you're going to rely on that. So um, how he is able to kind of level out his passing is going to go a long way, but also maybe more importantly, you know, how quickly can, can Heinrich Harburg – develop. Uh, I mean, he's still an early enrollee, true freshman. He's got a lot to learn. I mean, your, your physical tools are only going to take you so far um, to establish yourself as a number two quarterback on a Big Ten team. But if he's able to mentally pick up that offense at an accelerated rate over the next few months, I mean, I would not rule out whatsoever if he ends up being the number two going into the season. Yeah, the, just his upside just looked better. And I'll tell you, the injury that Smothers suffered at the very end of his high school, then he played through it and went through surgeries. Then he lost all of last year in the, in the winter, in the spring, because of COVID. And he obviously didn't get the reps that he was going to get. So, you know, he just has some rust on him still. And I'm not by any means saying you should give up on Smothers because he, there's a lot of time left for him. And I know he's a coach's kid. He's a competitor. So this thing's far from over. Um, I, I, I still wonder about a transfer quarterback, if that is really going to happen. To me, it matters who it is. And the problem is you want this like perfect transfer quarterback that may not exist. You mm -hmm. want this guy that's better than Smothers and Harburg that is okay with being the number two yeah. to Adrian Martinez. <laughs> that's luck. also an old guy. I mean, luck. it's like trying to, internet date trying to find like the perfect girl you want to go out with and like she's got to check all these boxes for us to take her out and it, I, I just don't know if that's going to exist yeah and, and a big part of the transfer debate was if those other quarterbacks were not ready and I I don't think that's going to be the case I mean I think that when all is said and done Nebraska is going to feel good enough about that quarterback room and especially if Smothers can find some consistency and Harbor can uh you know continue to develop I think they'll be okay with riding that, but you know, that's, it's a fine line to walk because you're talking about Adrian Martinez, who has not played a full season since he's been at Nebraska. And so trusting him to make it through a full year is rolling the dice and you better have somebody that you feel good about uh, that's ready to come in and play and take over the offense when necessary. It was just because history suggests that that will happen. The only guy I thought that ever made sense was Terry Wilson, a, yep. a one year starter, but once again, Terry Wilson has shown that he did not want to walk into the situation. He'd rather be the starter at New Mexico. Yeah, there are very few one-year guys that want to spend their last remaining college season watching as a number two quarterback. Yeah, I, I just think that – and you thought you had that guy here in Noah Vedral even at one point, mm -hmm. and he left, and he started for Rutgers. So um, odds are if you're good enough, you know, you don't want to come in a situation where – you know, a lot of things would have to happen for you even to get a chance. And that's the situation Nebraska has right now. And they may just have to ride through it and, and figure it out. So uh, when we come back, we're going to shift our discussion, Robin, over to defense. We'll give some thoughts on the defense this spring. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. But now I really feel it. You know, you can feel it. everybody's competing against each other. And so that's, that's the big difference. Everybody's just bought into the program. They're listening, they're taking coaching. They're not getting mad when someone gets on each other. You know, that's, that's the difference. 
Uh, I'm excited because I feel like we're real good and I feel like we have a lot of growing experience. I'm like real excited because I've never seen like a team like this that's like, and everyone push each other and everyone know knowledge. If I need something, I ask like, I can ask a DB and they'll know, a D lineman and they'll know, vice versa. But really, I want to bring up the whole team. This has, this has been the best spring I've been a part of since I've been here. You can just tell, you, you can not only tell, but you can just feel that everybody is bought in and just competing with each other. So this has been the best spring I've had since I've been here. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett. You heard DeAndre Thomas and Feldarius Payne, uh, two key defenders for Nebraska on that front seven, just discussing the spring. And you just get the sense the way that defense played down the stretch last year. They played very well at Rutgers, very well at Purdue. Um, obviously, the Illinois or the um, Minnesota game was kind of a rough one for the entire team. Um, so you, you can't call that one a great finish down the stretch. But the way they played and then the way they didn't get a bowl game to finish out with, this group is pretty driven. And they've, they've come together. They've played well this spring. And you heard at the stop, top of the show, they, they had the upper hand in the big scrimmage on Wednesday. Uh, but just to hear it out of a guy like DeAndre Thomas, who he's been on the field in Nebraska since 2017. He played as a true freshman for John Perella and Bob Diaco as a 265-pound nose tackle in the Big Ten Conference. That's for a whole nother show. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that kid's been through a lot. And for him to kind of just give his thoughts there – um, I commend DeAndre because you know he easily could have walked away and gone to the portal and just finished out somewhere lower level. But he's battled through it, and and he likes this team and, and the makeup of this defense right now. Well, and yeah, going back to his path a little bit. I mean, last year he was set to be a, a fixture on that defensive line, and then uh, you know suffered two injuries that basically limited limited him to two games, and so that. Uh, kind of derailed an entire season for him. So, uh, yeah, this guy's gone through quite a bit. And when we were at that practice on Saturday with Ben Stilley uh, basically being shelved for the spring, DeAndre Thomas was your number one end, and so opposite uh, Ty Robinson. So that, I think, shows where he is in the pecking order on this defensive line where I think DeAndre Thomas is going to play a lot of football on this defense. And when you're playing a lot on this defensive line, that means you have earned it and then some. But uh, – Going to his comments about just this, the different feeling this spring. I mean, obviously he's he's been through a lot of off seasons and a lot of turmoil and, and drama and all that stuff. And he was a follow up question after he made that comment that, that was played in the open was you know what what was missing in previous years and he just th said that uh, guys just weren't bought in. You know they, they were more about me and not about the team and uh, you know there just wasn't that kind of unified focus that there seems to be this year now again this is the off season we hear a lot of kool-aid stuff like this every year but just i don't know there is a difference when you hear not only what guys are saying but the way they're saying it and the sincerity in which a guy like deandre thomas who has no reason to you know fluff things up he should be as disgruntled as anybody exactly i mean he, he really hasn't got a chance I, to play I think much he genuinely feels that this this off season is different and this defense this season is different and uh hopefully it plays out that way in the fall if nebraska is good next year the defense is going to be a big reason Absolutely. why because if they get stops if they can get off the field and third down if they can actually get a pass rush with a four-man rush produce turnovers now granted i'd said a lot of ifs but I do think the pieces are there, Robin. I really do, because of the depth and the options they have right now. 
they have benefited off this free super senior rule as much as anybody. Now, Illinois, I found this out. They have 19 super seniors coming back on Illinois mm. who Nebraska will see week one. So it's not like Nebraska's got the most, but on defense particularly to get all those guys back another year along with what you developed last season, it's just going to go a long, long way here when you look at the overall makeup of Eric Shenander's defense. Well, yeah, I mean, and it starts up front. I mean, that defensive line is as deep as it's been in, in quite some time. And then take it to the next level. That inside linebacker group is <laughs> looks to be really, really good where there are at least four guys you could make the case to be starters for those two spots. And um, outside linebacker, obviously, with JoJo Doman back, he's, he's an X-factor there. But, um, you know, Feldarius Payne, who really played well at the end of last year, uh, you know, he's back. And you have you know, Caleb Tanner back and, um, you know, a lot of different pieces. Uh, Garrett Nelson, that I think give them enough depth and talent to where your defensive front seven – is easily the best it's been under Scott Frost. And, you know, you could probably take it back a few years beyond that. And that's where it starts. That's how you win in the Big Ten Conference. When your front seven is able to control the line of scrimmage and force teams to become one-dimensional, that's how you win. And, you know, the next level for Nebraska is their secondary is full of veterans, playmakers, Cam Taylor-Britt, Dismuke, Deontay Williams, uh, and then whoever uh, emerges in that other cornerback spot. I really like the makeup they have on this defense because of not only just the experience, but the leadership that's there at all three levels. Cam Taylor-Britt could end up being one of the better corners at Nebraska since Prince Mokamara. I mean, I really think – I mean, you think about Pelini, Dennard was good. Mm -hmm. I mean – and Dennard was Big Ten defensive back yeah, of the he, year. He would have been a high draft pick if uh, he didn't have his <laughs> didn't have his issues. night on O Street. <laughs> exactly. But, um, maybe since Dennard. I mean, because Dennard Dennard was a proven like yeah. second round type talent that fell. Did he get drafted or fall like way even later? I don't think I, don't, I can't remember. But, he started for the Patriots. Yeah, on a NFC, AFC title team. But yeah, I think when you look at his talent, he could be that type of player. I think if you were ranking players on the team right now, for me. Martinez and Taylor Britt would be like my 1A, 1B. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, somebody on our weekly chat this week asked, you know, who was the best recruit of the Scott Frost era? Taylor where, Britt. Yeah, not one guy they inherited. And I think we all consensus immediately said Cam Taylor It Britt. could end up being Martinez, though, too. Yeah, I mean, if he becomes the player they've thought he could be for day one, uh, you know, then that's a different story. But as far as actually – producing and being the type of player and exceeding expectations it's cam taylor brett hands down and right now i don't think there's much of a question he is their best overall nfl prospect looking ahead to 2022 yeah, and they've got some guys i mean doman is going to have a shot at the nfl deontay williams in dismuke to an extent but i mean i think i feel like the defense at least has guys that could really help their draft stock and they all know that that's why they all came back yeah they want to win but i, I if if those guys knew they were going to be like third, fourth, fifth round picks, they're gone. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of those guys fell like sixth, seventh round or free agency, probably free agency. And that's what drove a lot of them back to Nebraska. Yeah, and especially those two safeties. I mean, they're grown men with kids. You know, like they, they don't have time to just <laughs> mess family, around like with the families year hang out together. They're not coming back to party and, you know, go to eat, eat free meals on the training table. They're here to make their NFL profile as high as it possibly can be. And they believe that another year at Nebraska is going to help them do that. And if there's one other position I'll say, Robin, that is just solid, like I'm not worried about this group at all today, is middle linebacker. Mm -hmm. I think when you have Honus, Reimer, Kolarovic, and then Henrich, I mean, that's four 
legit dudes right there in the middle mm-hmm. that they can roll out this year. And they haven't had four in a while. Well, I mean, you look at Will Honus. I mean, he played the best football of his career last season. And then, uh, you know, uh, Luke Reimer, who is, you know, Barrett Root said he could potentially play in the NFL if he continues on his trajectory. And then uh, Nick Henrich, who kind of showed a little bit of what uh, they thought they were getting when they recruited him last year. And that was after playing both inside and outside. So now that he's settled in, at inside linebacker, I think he's really about ready to take off. And then you add in Chris Kalarovic, who the transfer from Northern Iowa, shout out to the Panthers, uh, they I mean, they love him. I mean, they called him, he's been called a freak of nature, a true leader, basically like everything you want in a Big Ten middle linebacker, Chris Kalarovic has been that. So, I mean, yes, the, the depth and talent and experience at that position group, I mean, that's, that's an under – under talked, I guess, not talked about enough position group on this team right now. Yeah, the Chris Kalarvik just reminds me of that guy that played for like Iowa or Wisconsin, yes. and you're like, why can't Nebraska ever just get a guy like him? Mm-hmm. And he could end up being finally just that physical, consistent force to go with what they have, and and the depth is there, and and that's going to be the difference. I think when you look at this defense, if they do what we think, it's going to be because of the depth. So uh, when we come back, we're going to shift over to basketball. Husker basketball assistant Matt Abdelmazi is going to join us here on the show. We'll break down Nebraska's signing class. Huskers had a consensus top 20 recruiting class. We'll hear from Coach Abdelmazi next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Three, two, one. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett now uh, talking basketball as we take a break from spring practice discussion as um, Nebraska basketball just finished up the spring signing period. Um, A consensus national top 20, top 15 level class, one of the best we've ever seen in the online recruiting era. And here to talk more about that signing class with us is Husker basketball assistant, a great friend of the program, Matt Abdelmasi. Coach, first of all, congrats on wrapping up the signing period, but I know it's never over. There's always roster movement, always <laughs> things going on, but you got to be, be relieved to, to at least get to this mile marker. Yeah, no, it certainly has been a wild ride, just like it's been for every program and every sport in the country the last 13, 14 months. For us, I'm really proud at the fact on how we've capitalized off of uh, all the hurdles that were in roadblocks that were ju- jumping at us and, and put there in front of us. So um, certainly satisfied um, with the overall class rounding out. Most importantly, just so excited about bringing quality kids to this program, to this community. Of course, really talented players as well. And you know, we're uh, we're really, really excited about where we're headed and uh, going into year three. Now, how different was assembling this class compared to the past couple? Because you know, the past couple classes, you were literally resetting the entire roster, it felt like, for the most part. Well, now you brought back, uh, you know, 70% of your per- scoring production from last year, and you're complementing those guys with, with this 21 class. I guess, how much difference did that make, uh, the fact that you actually had some, um, you know, returning production to build around as opposed to doing a, a complete roster overhaul yeah i mean ultimately when you're building there's no exact science or steps that you take on how exactly it's going to go you know certainly it's it's no uh, mystery on what we inherited and we had to quickly put together a team 
which therefore when you have to put together just the sheer amount of, of scholarships we had to fill, you know, ultimately there's going to be some, some kids that you take that might not be um, potentially long-term plans. Um, you're just filling gaps with, with certain roster needs just to go out there and put a team that has a chance to be competitive. So we do that in year one and, you know, very excited about the set out kids that we did get year one that proved to be big 10 worthy players come year two. Um, but, you know, this was always the year being somebody that's worked at two other programs where we pretty much, um, I had to do very similar things on, on making that progression to where you have a, a stable amount of players and build off of that, that usually it is. It's year three, hmm. you know, where you find a core group of guys that fit what you're trying to do, um, fit the DNA of the culture that you want in your program. And we've done that with the guys that have remained here. And like you said, Robin, 70% of, of your scoring and minutes are returning. And that's a great number. That's literally the highest number of my career, to be quite honest, um, with the amount of players that are returning. I'm, I'm very accustomed to roster turnover. It's certainly how I've made my career at building programs. Um, you know, the craziness with the transfer portal, it's certainly not anything new for me. Um, so I'm really excited about having such a strong foundation back and adding so many talented pieces around that where we really do feel like we can take off. Okay. Now I know last time you were on, we kind of recapped the, the guys that signed in the fall, but uh, you know, three more additions this spring, just wanted to get your take on how guys like Oleg, Keon uh, and CJ uh, are going to fit into what's returning and, and what you guys were bringing into the fall and, and what kind of impact you see those guys having next season. Yeah. I mean, anytime you add two transfers that, even remotely have any type of experience at a high major level, there's nothing but uh, beneficial um, reasons why you would take a kid like that. And we have two of them, both from Big East programs in CJ Wilcher and Keon Edwards. Um, CJ is a kid that I've known for a while. I recruited him very aggressively at St. John's, came to campus a few times. Ultimately, when I left for Nebraska, he's a kid that I called right away and we did recruit and ultimately chose um, Xavier. But it's a family that I'm uh, very comfortable with. They're incredible people, great basketball family. And, you know, CJ's the type of kid that fits exactly who we are as a program. Work ethic is tremendous. Um, his IQ and feel is exactly what we look for in a player, especially in the system that Coach Hoiberg runs. And then, you know, listen, the translation to shooting, you can never have enough guys that can make shots at an elite level, and that's what C.J. brings from day one, not to slight him with other areas of his game that he brings. But when you can shoot the ball at such a high level like he does, um, you know, it deserves to be praised. And then Keon Edwards, another kid I was familiar with coming out of high school, recruited him, knew his family well, ultra-talented kid, you know, every bit of six seven, his versatility is unbelievable, can score from every level. The thing about him, we're so excited again, once once again, similar to CJ, just his shot-making ability, just a beautiful, effortless stroke that uh, immediately should have a huge impact. Both of those kids will play 
significant minutes and, and have significant roles on what we're trying to do. If we're going to win at the level that we think we are, those two are going to have to have uh, big impacts immediately. And then Oleg is a kid that I uh, had known about throughout the year. I was waiting to see if there was going to be any opportunity to watch him play and see where his development was. Unfortunately, did not happen for COVID reasons. And um, listen, you know, come came from a very good prep school that has been known to produce players. The head coach there does a phenomenal job at player development. I know what we're getting day one, which is a really skilled, great feel IQ player, which, like I said, with, with the two previous kids, fits exactly what we're looking for. Um, but ultimately, you know, can he make an impact day one? You know, we're, we're not going to find that out till he gets to campus because mm-hmm. physically, you know, it's, it's such a different game than uh, European basketball for these kids to walk in, even though he was at a prep school. Unfortunately, his experience at the prep school was a very limited one because of COVID. So it is going to be a work in progress. But the one thing you can't teach is seven feet, you know, and he's every bit of it. We're talking with Nebraska basketball assistant Matt Abdelmasi. Coach, the eligibility rules where everybody got a free year and um, just all, all of the things that the COVID year brought, how complicated is that going to make roster management long-term um, in college basketball? You know, for us, it, it didn't make things complicated at all. You have honest conversations with your kids uh, throughout the year, but then specifically at the end of the year, just to evaluate where things are at for them, both basketball-wise and off the court, just to see if it's the right fit. Um, that is a part of, of college athletics. They're coming to get a great education and get their degree. They're also coming uh, for a big reason, which is for us to play basketball and you know, the only thing you can provide is, is honest feedback. Um, you know, the way we managed the extra year of eligibility, I thought was really well and had honest conversations with kids, um, you know, specifically with Kobe and, and Trevor was always planning on returning, of course, just playing limited minutes this past season because it was a freebie year for him because he had full intentions on sitting out and, and using that year for development reasons. Um, I think it speaks volume to when kids want to return. Not every program has had that. A lot of programs have lost their so-called super seniors that can use that year of eligibility. Ours wanted to stay. Um, you know, still having conversations with Thor about what his plans are. Um, you know, certainly he's been an unbelievable representative for this program for four great years. So we're going to be fully supportive with whatever decision he makes. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's one that is easy to manage as long as you're realistic and transparent with having conversations and do right by each student athlete that that's within your program. And I feel like the way things have played out, played out to our favor and and to Nebraska's favor. So looking ahead to to next year's roster, I mean, you got 13, maybe even 14, maybe 15 scholarship guys uh, that could potentially all all factor into the rotation. I guess now, how does the process begin about, uh, you know, uh, identifying roles and, um, you know, keeping everybody happy and, and, and basically finding a way to use all these pieces you've been able to assemble over the past three years? Well, fortunately, that's what they pay Fred the big bucks for <laughs> to make those decisions. You know, I just sit there in the background and help them manage it. But Listen, I mean, Robin, at the end of the day, you know this, and it's not a cliche. I mean, 
when we get the entire group here, there's going to be new faces and it's going to be a, an, a great mix of old faces and new faces. And over the course of the off season, you know, that stuff plays itself out. I mean, of course we go into it with a mindset of, of what guys roles are going to be. But the thing that is exciting, we're going to have legitimate depth at every position across the board. And in this league where it is such a grind, um, you have to have legit depth because if you don't, I do feel like your ceiling is a lot lower. And that's why our excitement is, is very high and we're so optimistic about where we're headed as a program with the class that we've signed and the kids that we're bringing in with the returners. And um, I, I I do feel confident that the, the group that's going to be out there, that there is no question. The, always the challenging thing is for guys to accept their roles, embrace their roles, and ultimately understand that there is a certain sacrifice that you have to potentially make um, from game to game. And that's what really good teams do. They make those sacrifices for the betterment of the team. You know, we have a, a saying going into next year, uh, we over me. And that's what we're going to ride with. And if, if we can hit that hard throughout the offseason into next season, the concept of, of having that we mindset, I think we have a chance to be really, really good. Well, Coach, congratulations on wrapping up a great signing class. So we're looking forward to following you guys now here over the summer months as coaches are able to get back out on the road and, and learn more about these guys. Absolutely. No, thank you guys for having me and, and pr- appreciate you guys. All right, much more to come. We'll talk more Husker football recruiting next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show as we close things down with some recruiting talk. And uh, it was a uh, very busy weekend in in some respects for Nebraska. Number one, the dead period officially uh, is going to end starting in June. But number two, as we talked earlier in the show, Nebraska had their open practice, which meant recruits could attend on their own if they organized the trip and uh, signed up to attend. And uh, Nebraska was able to have a handful of recruits and attendance. And um, in to talk more about that is Husker Online's Brian Munson. and he led our coverage over the weekend along with Mike Mattia as they um, contacted and t- talked to a lot of the recruits uh, that made their way in uh, for what was a visit, but not really a visit. Brian, I mean, what, what was your read on on just the weekend and kind of the uh, visit but no visit type of rules, the dead period, and all the things that Nebraska kind of had to even skirt around um, yeah. to, to have their recruits on campus? Yeah, no, I, I know that they I, I know that they knew that there were a lot of rules and, and that there was pretty limited in terms of what it was that they could do. I mean, but the fact of the matter was is that there were recruits to get on campus and the recruits were happy to be there. We, we were tracking about four, really five recruits. There was a, another another player that was there, offensive tackle out of Iowa, which we're kind of finishing up a story on and we'll announce a little bit later on Husker Online for being there in the stands on Saturday. But, you know, we, we were really tracking, like, Ernest Hausman, the uh, 2022 uh, linebacker from Columbus, Nebraska. Uh, probably the biggest guy that was there that was not really a committed guy was Caden Green, a four-star offensive tackle out of the 2023 class, number 37 in the nation in Rivals 100 for next year. And then you had a couple of, of interesting guys there. You had Tatum Tuioti, obviously, from Lincoln North, uh, Lincoln uh, Southeast, uh, the outside linebacker recruit. And Jaden Ham, uh, a tight end out of the 2023 class, big kid, 
Uh, he's talking about coming back up there for Nebraska's spring game as well. Um, overall, very impressed. Uh, loved what was Nebraska, what Nebraska was doing. It, it seemed like they all really kind of realized the, the big jump from high school to college while they were sitting there in the stands. They saw them getting after it. They noticed the physicality. And uh, Tatum had some really interesting comments because he said that the that the physical the physicality that that obviously Nebraska was showing this weekend just kind of shows the competitiveness that's there from practice to practice and how those guys are trying to go out there and win a spot. And he said that's what really college football is all about. So uh, I thought it was a I thought for as as many guys as we were able to kind of track down and we know that there was probably more likely more there. Uh, very very good feedback so far from the weekend. We're talking recruiting here with Husker Lions, Brian Munson. And, you know, did you get the sense um, the Husker coaches even really knew some of these guys were there? And, um, you know, what kind of correspondence could they even have? Did they have, um, you know, they obviously couldn't talk to them from the from the bleachers um, while they are in the stands. But after the visit, I mean, what, what was the, the interaction like? Yeah, you know, Ernest Hausman was the only guy I think that I could really kind of confirm that Nebraska knew was going to be there. The reason why, Hausman had, you know, Hausman's making his third position change in three years uh, in high school. And he's getting ready to play inside linebacker this fall for Columbus so he can make that easy transition in Lincoln. And he had told, he'd asked Coach Rude if he could, like, you know, which which drills, like, should he be watching or paying close attention to that he can – take back with him back to Columbus and kind of learn more about how to play the position of inside linebacker. I think a lot of these guys, probably other than Tatum Tuioti, whose father is a coach for Nebraska, were just kind of there. Maybe Caden Green, you know, is a guy that was getting some guidance about, about coming in, you know, and, and checking things out ahead of time. Um, but besides that, you know, there really, there, there really just was this total lack of, of kind of conversation. And I think, you know, to your point, going back to, to your tunnel talk on Friday, I'm sure there were a number of compliance people that were in the stands and they're, and they're totally aware of these situations popping up, not just in Nebraska, but other, other campuses around the nation. And they're making sure of course, that, that this, everything's on the up and up during this dead period. Yeah. And I think Nebraska, um, they were able to see a lot of other teams doing this and they could kind of get an idea of what it was like in other places and talk to other compliance departments and, um, I mean, they had it pretty well locked down. I mean, it, the media was on one end zone. Former players and parents and other people were on the other side. And then you had the general public and slash recruits on the other end. So they, they did a pretty good job, Brian, of keeping the groups of people separated where, you know, I, from where I was sitting, we could not tell um, anybody. I mean, mm -hmm. you could tell who anybody was in there because we were kind of locked into the north end zone. Yeah, Ernest Hausman mentioned, you know, I, I kind of said, well, you know, because one of the things, of course, that's interesting for us is that those those guys get a chance to kind of meet each other. They're standing there on the sideline. They see each other's name tags. They, they, they you know, they kind of put a, a face to a name that they knew before, and they get a chance to meet each other. That was one of the things that Ernest Hausman had to say to me. He said, I, I wasn't really allowed to move around. You know, I was, I was told basically we have to stay in our seat, and that was kind of the guidance that we were given about this practice. And, of course, he, he was adhering to it, and he cut out just a little bit early, of course, to, to get back home for senior prom a little bit, or a little bit later that night. We're talking recruiting here uh, with Brian Munson here as Nebraska had um, really some of their first on-campus visitors in several months. Uh, they've had a couple other guys, I guess, pop in um, here, uh, like Tyler Martin was here earlier in the week. But 
Now, Brian, all eyes are set on the May 1st red-white spring game, and um, this has been really since 2004 the event that kind of kick-starts recruiting for Nebraska, and you know, obviously it's going to be different than past years. You're not going to have the recruits showcased on the sidelines like show ponies um, walking down by all the fans. I mean, they're going to be in the stands um, like everybody else. But the list that Nebraska has put together right now is still pretty impressive. And let, let me preface this. They have not put this together. The recruits have decided to come to Lincoln um, and, and buy a ticket to attend the spring game. Absolutely. And, and I think that where you start to see that, that list that's come together, well, first of all, there's a, there's a heavy desire to, to, to get out there and start doing things. It's, it's, but it's frustrating for the coaches, I'm sure, as it has been for the recruits. The recruits are, are, are giddy that they finally have some opportunities to kind of go out there and not just walk a campus, which was what a Seth Malcolm kind of could only get last year to kind of get the feel, get the vibe, you know, between Kansas State and Nebraska to go ahead and jump on in a class. But you've got some guys now that have been just kind of Jones and to kind of get up there and look at a Gavin Myers or a Jared Canick, you know, the kids from Hayes, Hayes, Kansas, you know, Nebraska's hosting uh, probably two of their top three remaining 2022 quarterbacks that weekend with MJ Morris and Richard Torres coming to campus. You've got two guys that I think will be making, well, one guy at least out of this two is making an official visit in June. And the other guy will probably make an official visit if the, if the spot is still there, you got Grant page and, and Landon Samson, both wide receivers. Um, Another guy that I that we just talked to actually in Husker Online is going to be bringing an update on this one. Valen Erickson, Nebraska offered three new guys over the weekend on Sunday. Two of those guys had virtual visits on Sunday after the open practice. So, I, I think as much as you know, we're sitting here talking about the class here that with the 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 2022 guys. Looking at the 2023 guys, you start to see some really guys coming, really interesting guys coming in. You got Reese Mooney, you have Shelton Sampson, both from Louisiana, Maverick Noonan, Elkhorn, Nebraska. The, there's there are some real talent in state next year. Nebraska has to be a, a be much better about trying to keep that that talent home. Of course, Tuiodi will still be there. David Borchers, a nice two-way lineman from Eldridge, Iowa, coming in. And then, of course, I just also put in an update on Husker Online for Davon Hall, the 2024 wide receiver out of Omaha, who's also here, uh, has a Nebraska offer. Yeah, Brian, it's going to be um, interesting just to see how much this jump starts things. Obviously, June is really going to be the, the time, but I think we're all under the impression it's going to go quick here. Once things start in June um, by July 4th, you, you, I think you're, you're going to see double-digit commits here by, by Nebraska. I, I totally agree with that. I think that there are some guys that are that just don't know how to kind of gauge what potentially could end up happening. Are we in the middle of another extended dead period starting in August, starting in September? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to jinx anything, but I think these guys have got to realize that they've got a window of opportunity and that they better go ahead and take, you know, get everything done in their business as quickly as possible in that window of opportunity to really figure things out. We had an entire year last year, basically, where some kids did not even step foot on campus to the place that they were committing to. And, and now you've got at least things, the dead period coming to an end, some visits going to take place in the month of, in the month of June. Uh, they've got it loaded up to where we have six guys already kind of confirmed for that first weekend in June. And we have three guys for each of the next three weekends coming in. And I've, I expect for those weekends to kind of fill up more and more as, as we get going along. But I think that you're absolutely correct. There's a lot of guys that just 
have got to feel a vibe. They've just got to get on campus. They've got to feel things out. They've got to meet some coaches. They've got to meet them face-to-face. They've done the virtual visit. And maybe meet a couple of players and just kind of get a feel for whether or not that it feels like home or not. And then I think things are really going to take off for the Huskers because sitting on sitting on two, but they've got nine guys lined up for the first four weekends, and, and I think things are going to take off for them. Well, it's going to only get busier as uh, it feels like it's been years since we've actually covered live <laughs> live recruiting events. But uh, you guys got back in the – you and Mike and the team got in back into it this weekend, and I'm sure that was fun, and it's only going to get busier for all of us. So uh, thanks it's, again, Brian. It felt good. All right, well, um, make sure you're on HuskerOnline.com as uh, we'll keep you up to date on that, as well as the latest of spring practice and the baseball this weekend against Michigan State. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 